Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. One of the most unique preachers to ever stand behind the sacred desk was L.J. Cherry Holmes. He was gifted of God uniquely with the ability to hold the audience's attention while he spoke. This sermon was preached many years ago at the Allegheny Wesleyan Bible College School Revival in Salem, Ohio, and it's titled, Dig Deep. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. sad? Huh? Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, once again, I tell you, this is not a mortuary, but this is a holiness college. Revival meeting. Now, some few years ago, I was at an auction sale, and they held up something that I wanted, but I didn't know that, in the other hand, he had something else. And I purchased whatever it was. I was the highest bidder. You don't get any bargains at an auction sale. You pay the highest price, really. But anyway, I when they brought this back to me, they brought back me a box and a book. And in the box was embalming tools. <laughs> and the book showed how to embalm a human body. And my daughter was in nurse's training, so I gave her that book. But I wished I'd have kept it. I wished I'd have kept those embalming instruments. For I've been in some churches so dead, I thought I'd bomb them and bury them. <laughs> Amen. Amen. As you say, in Egypt, Amen. <laughs> now, I'm going to do something this morning that maybe you won't be my friend anymore. And I want you to be my friend. And I'm going to do something that's going to shock you this morning, and so maybe you won't be my friend anymore. on I have sent to me I was at their school once for a meeting and this particular religious school as a publication publication of a school as a instrument of promulgation or propaganda and uh, well that's not a bad word that's all our religious papers are. They're just instruments of advertisement or pushing their work or whatever it might be. And that word propaganda isn't too bad, but you kind of laughed at it. Maybe you know the meaning of it better than I do. I don't know. I got through school carrying apples to the teacher, so I don't have too good of an education. 
And on the back side of this little religious magazine, there's several things that he has accumulated, the editor has accumulated across the years. And uh, I don't particularly care for some of the things he has there, though they're good things. I'm a great guy to clip stuff and put it in a file system and then wonder where it is. <laughs> but um, I found this. And since it comes from religious paper and school, and from an editor who is a holiness man, I felt it'd be all right to read it this morning, but I don't think you're going to like me. And that bothers me, because I want you to like me. The man had this little article in this paper on the back page, and this is what it said. More and more doctors are running their practices like an assembly line in a factory. We were in several factories in the past, touring them. I remember being in Flint, Michigan, and uh, they took us to the Buick plant. And sure enough, uh, here comes trucks, trucks from Cleveland carrying certain articles like the frame, and they know every stoplight. If they have to go through stoplights, and they arrive at the exact moment when they get on that assembly line, when something else comes out from someplace, and then there's wheels, and then there's bolts, and, and just, it's just an assembly line. Every guy has his little job. There's not too much incentive to a guy that works on an assembly line. He puts the same bolt in the same hole 45,000 times a day. That's not much, too much incentive to be anybody. <laughs> but this little article said that doctors are running their practices like an assembly line. One day, a fellow walked into a doctor's office, and the receptionist asked him what he had, and he said, shingles. So she took his, down his name, his address, his medical insurance number, and told him to have a seat. Fifteen minutes later, a nurse's aide came in and, and uh, asked him what he had, and he said, shingles. And so she took down his height and weighed him and, gave him a, and asked him for a complete medical history and told him to wait in an examining room, pointed it out to him. And half an hour later, a nurse came in and asked him what he had, and he said, shingles. So she gave him a blood test, blood pressure test, and electrocardiogram, and told him to take off, off all of his clothing and wait for the doctor. An hour later, the doctor came in and asked what he had, and he said, shingles. The doctor said, where? He said, out in the truck. Where do you want me to put them? <laughs> had to do something to lively up this crowd. Brother England forgot, England forgot to tell you that these tapes are, this near $7. I thought you were selling tapes for $2 of mine. That's the only way you can get rid of my tapes is to sell them real cheap. $2. <laughs> All right. Would you stand, please? I'm going to ask Brother Satterfield to pray for the rest of the service, please. Amen. Sure. Praise God. Help us today. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated, and if you have your Bibles with you in the Old Testament, 
on page 300, 869 in my Bible, the 49th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. There are two words and two verses that I want to draw your attention to for our background for our lesson this morning. And from it, we will have four questions that we want to ask you. 49th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. I know if I was in a homilies class, I'm announcing my text wrong. It should be the book first and then the chapter, then the verse. But I'm not very good at homiletics. Have you found it? 49th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, verse 8, the words dwell deep. Verse 30, the same words dwell deep. Now, I made a little study of the background of this, and I'm going to take it easy this morning. I made a little study of the background of this, and I found out that the context of these two words is that the prophet Jeremiah is making some severe pronunciations against some people. And because of their iniquity, God is going to punish them. And Jeremiah said this, the punishment from God because of their iniquity is so severe that God's not going to leave anything that's not going to be touched. He tells us that the grape gatherers leave some grapes on the vine for the poverty-stricken people. And then you remember the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, I believe it is, that God tells his people to leave some of the corners of the field unreaped that the poor people might gather some grain. In other words, that was God's welfare program at that time. But in this shaking that God's going to come upon these people, it's going to be so severe. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> it's going to be so bad that God's not going to leave anything untouched. And though these people deserve what's coming to them, God is, Jeremiah is telling them to find a place to dwell deep. That perchance they might escape that severe judgment that's coming because of their iniquity. It was such a time of crisis and such a time of fear and such a time of dark forebodings, I say again, that the prophet is saying to them, I would urge you, in the light of this severe judgment that God's coming with, find a place to dwell deep. Now, I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not predicting that California is going to fall into the ocean. And I'm not predicting these things. I'm not a doomsday preacher. I believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. But I have to tell you this morning that as I look out on the world scene, I'm talking about the godless world. It looks to me like it's hastening at full speed to the final judgment of Almighty God. And I'm understanding the prophetic students that know prophetic signs and understand prophetic events and can read the future somewhat are telling me, and I have such a friend by the name of Abraham Becker that tells me about some of the things, and every once in a while he writes me a letter and some of the letter, writings in, in red uh, ink, and he underscores it and tells me about some of the things that's coming. And he's telling me that we're living in fearful times. Well, I know that. But what I'm trying to tell you, he's trying to tell me there's coming a world's calamity. Now, I want you to... I'm trying to lay a foundation for you this morning for four questions I want to ask you before you leave here. They tell me that politicians and statesmen and scientists and public men of all sort are telling us that we are moving in a fast way to a final consummation or crises. I think you'll find some of this condition described to us in the Hebrew letter 
chapter 12 and verse 26 and 27. Shall I read them to you? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the receiving, the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. And they're telling me that we're either facing a crisis or chaos. They're telling me we're facing revival or revolution. It looks like to me we're having more revolution, we're having a revival. And they tell me that it's, it's either evangelize or perish. And they tell me that it's either an atomic war or the event of Jesus Christ. And with the discovery that Israel had been stocking atomic bombs for quite a number of years and China has stocking atomic bombs, it looks like they may be right. It looks to me like for the church and the world, the sand and the hourglass of the day of grace is ebbing to the bottom. And as a people, we're facing something that we have never heard about in past history. Now, Jeremiah told these people relative to the fierce judgment of God that was coming because they deserved it. He said, find a place to dwell deep. And so in the light of these things that I just told you about of our day and the condition of our world, I'd like to suggest to you that you haven't answered a four question that you might dwell deep. Another thing that bothers me about the things of the world today is the, in the world I'm talking about the shallowness and the superficiality of the world out yonder. By that I mean the outside world is putting much emphasis on the trivial and the trifling and the passing and the bubbles that burst like a little boy that has a little uh, thing that he put, dips in the bubble uh, liquid and blows it and watches it and when he touches it, it's gone. They're placing the emphasis on the temporal and the matter of the soul and the matter of holiness and the matter of righteousness is passed by the majority of people. We have a tremendous false value of things today. I only mention this, and it's a trifling mentioning because it's not really what I ought to bring to you, but football players and basketball players and guys that knock golf balls across the course and follow them to where they are get far more money than the present United States. In other words, where we're plating our emphasis on the temporal and on the, on the passing. And the tragedy that I'm speaking about now is that this spirit has crept into the church. There's so many of us and I'm going to use editorial we right now. There is so much shallowness of thinking on the part of so many of us relative to spiritual things, comparing them to temporal things. This shallowness of thinking shows itself in the heart of many. How many are they honestly right now who have the whole heart in the business of serving Jesus Christ? The shallowness of thinking shows itself in want of understanding. So few are they that I know this morning that are really outstanding and searching for holiness of heart and are aware of the holiness of God, if you please, sir, and the awfulness of sin and the awfulness of retribution. The shallowness of thinking shows itself in the want of moral purpose and power. There seems to be so few. I should say there seem to be so many that are living on such a low moral level with little purpose to reach any 
higher levels of moral righteousness in the day which you and I live. What I'm trying to say, it seems that we're living in a day of silence of thinking when it comes to spiritual things that most people are satisfied to get along with just enough to salve their conscience and hope they make it to heaven. Now, I discovered the church of Jesus Christ and a Christian can outlive pagan conspiracies. And I discovered that the church of Jesus Christ can outlive cruel and oppressive laws of any nation that may try to put Christianity down. It can outlive all of those laws. It can outlive the most fierce and diabolical schemes that the devil can concoct. But the church of Jesus Christ nor a Christian can ever hope to outlive thoughtlessness and shallowness of living. The second thing that I want to think to you about and urge you to dwell deep this morning is the fact that we're living in a day of superficiality of character. Some years ago, I walked into a store. It was a country store. Back in the day before that, too many supermarkets. And he did not have too much stock. He had deep shelves in his walls, but he had brought all of the stock that he had, cans or might have been packages of cereal or flour. He had only one row in the front of the shelf. There was no depth of supply. Now, I hope I'm trying to get across you. I think I am getting across you what I'm trying to say of superficial out of character. There are so many people who have little depth of character in their Christian experience. They remind me of the storefronts, buildings of the days gone by, especially the West. When you looked at them from the front, like you're looking at that black speaker there, it was two stories. But when you turn around and got on the side, it was one story. It was a false front. A lot of people have a false front of their character. All the character have is what they show on prayer meeting night. There's no depth of character. Another danger to us that are facing as Christians in these perilous times is the fact that there is apparent, unprotesting, assent or consent to pious religious frauds. How many of us, dear holiness people, have been taken in by some pious fraud or fake preacher? Now, I hope that we're all aware that the only way to live safe in the day in which you and I are aware of is to dwell deep in the things of God. And an old saint used to pray often on prayer meeting night. She said, oh, Lord, help us to sink deeper that we may rise higher. And F.B. Myers, that great preacher of the days gone by, said something like this. He said, and he first was saved. He said he thought all of God's goodies were on shelf that went one above another. And the higher he grew in statue, the more he'd find of the goodness of God. But he said, I learned that that was not so. All of God's good things are on a shelf that go down one beneath another. And the lower I get, the richer I find in the things of God. And I would suggest to you this morning, if you're going to stand the storms that are coming and the tragedies that are coming to this old world, the forerunners of the tribulation period, I would suggest that you and I better find ourselves a deeper relationship than we have this morning. Dean right. God. Jesus said, except the corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But there's where we hang up. We don't like to die. We don't like to die. We don't like to die to our opinions and our expressions and our abilities and what we think we are. We don't like to die to our self-ambitions and our self-appraisals. And have you ever had a time when you've met more lonely Christians? Nobody loves me. They don't appreciate me at that church. I'm lonely. Jesus said, except 
a grain of wheat fall into the ground, corn of wheat, and die, it abideth alone. That's why there's so many lonely people that have never died. We don't like to die. I'm afraid we haven't learned the tremendous fact that he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. I don't think we've ever learned the great paradox that life comes out of death. I don't think we've ever learned the great paradox that exaltation comes out of humiliation. I don't mean being humbled by somebody else, but we deliberately humble ourselves. We should be exalted. I don't think we've learned that paradox that crowning comes out of crippling, and I don't think we've learned that tremendous fact that blessings come out of bruisings. And I don't think we want to practice any longer. And I preached one place and the preacher took me to task. He said, we don't believe in that anymore. But I preached that text in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people shall humble themselves. And so as tenderly as I can this morning, and I trust God will give me a tender heart, I'd like to ask you four questions as to how deep your Christian experience is. I'm not interested in your testimony. I, please don't think I'm rude. I don't care that much for it. I'm not interested if you're a preacher this morning. We just have some pastors and preachers and evangelists here. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested if you sing a song or if you have a position in the church or if you like to run the church or run the school. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in your personal Christian experience, how deep it is. And so to help us to determine, I have four questions for you. And the first one is, I want you to listen carefully because this is retrospective. How deep is the profession of your conversion? Please listen to that. How deep is your profession of conversion? Now that takes us back to a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, and for some of us, 40 years ago, and maybe 50 years ago, when you sought God at the altar. Maybe this will help you understand what I'm trying to get at this morning, and I want to be plain if I can. You remember Jesus told about the parable of the sower and the seed and the soil? There was one sower, one type of seed, but four types of soil. There was the stony pathway, or the hard trodden pathway, the hard ground, I believe the statement is in the scripture. And there's the rocky ground, there was the thorny soil, and there was the good productive soil. Now I'm interested in only the rocky ground or the rocky soil. And here it is as Matthew, Mark told it in 4, 16 and 17, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and, have no, but, and having no root in themselves, so endure but for a little time afterward when affliction or persecution either for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now the seed was one type of seed. The sower was one sower. And in this second type of soil, the seed fell. Now when we were in Haiti in January, I went to town with the evangel I mean with the missionary, I was there speaking to the missionaries the first part of my visit, then later on for the for 29 national pastors for the EMBM, EMBM, EM, EBM missionary group under Brother Skellett. And I rode along, and since I was on the rider, driver's side, rider's side, I saw the people where they had walked and trodden down the pathway by the side of the road. 
And so in our parable this morning that Jesus said, trying to get you to look back at the profession of your conversion, I saw where Jesus said that the seed fell in that trodden, beaten down pathway. And then I saw where it fell by the rocky soil or the soil that had a surface of some soil and then underneath was a rock bed and it sprang up gladly. Now I'm a great gardener. I suppose I have a garden that's about half as wide as that altar across there. I suppose it goes back to about that young man, just a brother, brother, brother Phelps there. And I plant something on Wednesday night, on Thursday morning, I'm looking for it to come up. I've been known to go out and scratch the ground to make sure it's coming up. That's like cracking egg. If you have eggs hatching, you're trying to help the chick out of the egg. But, and, but I do grow some good stuff. And so, I, and so this is what happened, that soil. That word came, and it fell in there, and immediately it sprang up. It sprang up with gladness. For the scripture, if I understand right there, immediately is translated with enthusiasm. Now, I'm asking you to look back to your conversion. Was it real? Why, you came to the altar, and you, maybe, maybe they had, an evangelist had sung uh, one song, uh, one verse, uh, 19 times, and you were all enthused, and somebody come to the altar, so you went to the altar. But you, did you get the new life that conversion brings? Or did you just turn over a new leaf? Or did you just get a relief? I remember when the Depression days was on back in Barberton, Ohio. It was everywhere, of course. I'd, I'd come in and I'd say, Mom, what's for supper? And she'd point to the cupboard. And she said, well, we're going to have some of that and some of this. And one of the things she pointed at was, Prunes. We call it funny fruit today. <laughs> but they were so dry, you had to soak them quite a long while before you could cook them. The second thing we got in those days, in the relief program of those depression days, and that was in the early period of my life, was peanut butter. And it was wrapped in a in a, in a container that was made out of paper and then wrapped with paper and all the oil went out of the peanut butter into the paper and you had to dig it out with a knife or a fork and then it stuck to your uh, upper, upper uh, part of your mouth and if you had false teeth, uh, you had a terrible job. We was living on relief. And a lot of people come to the altar, I'm asking you to look back at your profession, your conversion. Did you just cry a little bit? and get relief living on dry peanut butter and prunes? Now, I think you can understand that. I think that's as plain as the nose of some of you people's face out there. And your nose is very plain. You didn't know that, did you? I'm in no hurry. The seed germinated all right. Nothing wrong with the seed. The seed was all right. The store was faithful. The preacher was faithful. The gospel's faithful. Maybe he was moved at the altar call by some great evangelist who knew how to make an altar call in 58 different ways. Or he told a blood and guts story of guts and, and blood and, and alcohol and gasoline on the highway. And under that tremendous emotional dramatic story you was moved on and you came and you cried a little bit, but did you get new life? 
Nothing wrong with looking back there for a friend. If next you have a real good foundation of conversion and heart cleansing, there's no possibility of living a superstructure of a Christian life. I'm not here to shatter your faith or shake your confidence in God this morning, but in these past few years since I've been in the field full-time since 79, I'm talking to a lot of people that are doubting and are not wonder I'm wondering where they are because they can't look back and say, Brother Jones, I had a real, true, honest conversion back there. Well, there cannot be any way for you and I to have a real Christian experience now unless we have a real foundation back there. I think it's Mr. D uh, William Arclay, that great Bible student from England. He said there's two reasons why these stony ground Christians fail. He said the first reason, he said the failure to think the thing out and to think the thing through and the failure to recognize what it means and what it costs before we start. He said the second reason is that thousands of people are attracted to Christianity. And ladies and gentlemen, Christianity is attractive. Say what you please, Christianity is attractive. And he said thousands of people are attracted to Christianity or attacked, attracted, yeah, attacked. But he said they never let it get beyond the surface of the circumference of their lives. And he states, Father, with this statement, and I found an illustration for it. He said the fact is that Christianity is it is a case of all or nothing. And I was sitting, I was going through the emergency entrance of the hospital in Bedford, Indiana a number of years ago. I had a, a patient that was not my, I mean, a, a person I was visiting, but not a member of my congregation. But one of the ladies asked me to visit this party. And I'd been out three or four times that day for she was very seriously ill. And we didn't expect her to live. And so about 11 o'clock, I said, Mrs. Charles, I'm going out to see the lady. And have to go through the emergency part. And as I went through the emergency, and here's the, uh, a set, the setting room for the people that's there, I saw a policeman. His wife comes to our church, or the church there. And beside him, I saw a man who also was coming to our church. And he was bloody and bleeding and bruised up pretty bad. And so I went over to find out for this man had sought at the altar a little few times. His name is Fred. And so I wanted to know what it was all about. I got an answer from the policeman. And this man looked up at me. He was also half under the weather. I mean, about three sheets in the wind. He was drunk. He got in a family brawl. And he looked at me and he said to the policeman, he said, you go to that guy's church. And well, he couldn't say too much because he didn't come too much. Ignoring his feeble answer, Fred said, if you go to his church, it's whole hog or none. I think you people in Ohio can understand that. Right. All right, thank you for those amen. <laughs> now, Jesus gave the reason why these rocky people failed, lack of depth. Did, they didn't dig down through their restitution. They didn't dig down through their confessions. They prayed a little while, and maybe somebody come along and said, Now, brother, take it by faith. And it is by faith, but Catherine Booth says you can't believe. And there isn't no real evidence of faith until there's a true surrender on the part of the pen and a seeker. Come on. Now, so in the face of the coming turmoils that may be just around the corner, I'm urging you that you better build your house on the rock and dig deep. 
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. As it has been passed, I don't want to